0: we're in our third and final installment of a series called Remember, Remember, Remember. Three things to remember, and this is the last thing. Remember the time. Originally, we had our first message a couple weeks ago. Remember, don't look back. Then we had last week, remember me. And now remember the time. So we've been learning about Being doers of the word and not just hearers only, because James says, if you are just a hearer of the word and not a doer, you're like a person who looks at his natural face in a mirror, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, and this one will be blessed in what he does. In other words, actions are easier to recall than thoughts. It's easier to retrace your steps than it is to retrace your thoughts. How many times have you forgot what you were talking about in mid-sentence? But if you're trying to figure out how to ride a bike, it's not like you immediately forget how to ride a bike. You have muscle memory, and it's often easier to remember actions than thoughts. That being said, we need to put the Word of God into action so that we constantly remember the things that God wants us to remember. And tonight we're learning about the time, the fact that the time is short, So why don't we pray and we'll begin our study this evening. Lord, we thank you that you are coming soon. We believe that tonight and we want to be able to remember it. Not just on Fridays, not just on Sundays. We want to remember that everywhere we go, that our life is to be lived with purpose. Because the time is short and time is running out. We want to be well-pleasing to you. In the little time that we have. So in the time that we spend in your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit speaks to us and through us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't run that often, as you can tell, if you see my chicken legs. I'm not like some of you guys. Josh and, and Joe and some of the other guys biked 60 miles the other day. And Vinny and, Vinny, and Aaron. Vinny's like looking at me like, you're not going to give me credit? So I'm esteemed in front of all my peers? Well, clap, clap, Vinny. There you go. 60 miles. That's a lot. I, I would die. I would pass out and die if I did that. When I am running a long distance, the only thing I can think about is when can I stop? When I was in middle school, I was on the basketball team, and we did suicides. Hated them. I thought it was pointless. I didn't get it. And you can tell me how it builds up sprinting strength and whatever. But to me, I just wanted to stop. I didn't see the point. I don't need, you know, I don't need strong legs. I just don't. I'm a rock climber anyway. But if we take that in a spiritual sense, I think some of us spiritually feel the same way. Where you're, you're running the Christian race and you're walking in the way that God wants you to. And the only thing you can focus on is when, when can I just take a break? because you feel exhausted when can I throw in the towel and if we're really living the Christian life there will be times that we will get exhausted but is that the mentality that God wants us to have to be in this Christian life and be brought down way down with all the anxieties all the difficulties all the sufferings and to constantly be burdened and as we walk around in this life we're just constantly look like we're tired and exhausted As I said before, some of you doing vacation Bible school this week, you're exhausted right now. I am too. But is that how we are to to live our Christian life? Just being exhausted? And I don't mean just physically. I mean spiritually exhausted. I don't believe so. And as we read today, I believe that God wants us not just to be tired, right? But God wants us to be excited because time is short. Because the stopwatch is about to stop, because time is almost up, because Jesus is coming soon, he wants us to look forward to that day. He wants us to be excited about his his soon return to this earth. So that being said, the book of 2 Peter was written to those that are about to fall away. To those that are about to lose heart. And so these two epistles, these two letters that Peter himself, the apostle, writes, he writes it to Christians, and 1 Peter talks all, all about how you have a living hope. And 2 Peter is written for the person who's about to walk away from the faith. And if anyone knows about that, it's Peter. Peter knows what it's like to be exhausted in ministry and want to give up and want, and want to run away. He was the man who denied Jesus, not just once, not twice, three times If there's anyone who is miserable about his standing with God and wanted to walk away, it was this man. And yet he says, there are certain things that you do that if you do these things, you will never be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you continue in these things, you will never stumble. You will never fall away. And some of us here are in danger of stumbling in our Christian walk and falling back. And that is why it's so important to remember, to remember, and to remember the joy of following Jesus. The excitement in living the Christian life. That this life that we live, that is joined together with Christ, is one filled with thrill. It's not boring. And if it feels boring, if we feel like we're just constantly burdened and overwhelmed, perhaps we're missing out on one of the most essential characteristics. It's not just about taking one step forward and not looking back, as we learned about Remember Lot's Wife. It's not just about that, you know, Jesus said, remember me, and that means that you are free, which is great. This means that now the flesh has been put to death. You don't have to struggle with the flesh anymore. That's done. And your sins are forgiven. You don't have to worry about your past. You don't have to worry about your future. You are secure in Jesus. And now because of those things, we need to remind ourselves of how that interplays with our present. How when Jesus comes back, we are to look forward to that day. To that, unite, uh, to that uniting with Christ. And so Peter is encouraging the church by saying in verse 1, beloved. I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the of the Lord and Savior. So what he says here is, I want to stir up your pure minds. He doesn't say stir up your filthy minds. He says your pure minds. I want to stir it up. And the Greek word here is talking about agitate think about waves how they're agitated and and he wants to take your mind and agitate it stir it up to what to the words that were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us now why is it important to stir up our minds it's because so often we're distracted even if we're, we're completely right before God, it can be so easy to forget who we are. It's kind of like when you're, you're like talking to your friend and your friend suddenly gets a text message, pulls out his phone, and now he's answering, uh-huh, yep, yep, all right, yeah, I understand what you're saying. You need to, when he puts down his phone and says, what were we talking about, you stir up his mind again. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean he doesn't care about you. It just means he was distracted. And so maybe that's where you are in your life right now. It's not like you don't care about God. It's not about, you know, you don't hate God. It's not like you love sin. You're just distracted. And that's where Peter says, grace, your mind is pure. Now let's get back to where you came from. Let's remind you of the things that are most important. Now, listen, it's very important that our mind is pure because the the purer your mind is, the easier it is to stir up on eternal things. The more pure... Your mind is, the easier it will be to stir up your mind on eternal things. Why is that? Well, very basically and practically, that's because you're not weighed down with other junk. I mean, we can all think of those times that we've tried to worship, tried to enter into God's throne room, tried to pray. And what does Satan throw into our minds? All the guilt, all the sin, all the, all the junk that we've been filling ourselves with and it's in that moment that we're weighed down because our minds aren't pure so think of it like this your mind is to be filled with nothing but the things that glorify Jesus and when it is even if you're distracted temporarily for a little bit you get a text message you have a person interrupt you you have a trial you have suffering you have a tribulation it doesn't matter what interrupts your fellowship you still have fellowship But if your mind is impure, then it can be very hard to stir it up to eternal things. Because the only thing you're filling your mind with is junk. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near with the true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Romans 8 says that if you're walking by the flesh, your mind will be on the things of the flesh. If your mind's on the spirit, or if you're in the spirit, your mind is going to be on the things of the spirit. And the things of the spirit is life and peace so we're to be mindful of certain things to remember certain things what are those things it is as we see in that second verse it is the words that were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us it's the word of god and as kind of like a side note textual side note this is kind of affirmation that the new testament too is the word of god because that's what he's talking about not just the old testament but the commandments that we were given, this is the stuff to be thinking about. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, we've talked about a lot, but it says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Psalm 119, verse 147 says, that I rise before the dawning of the morning and cry for help. I hope in your word. My eyes are awake through the night watches that I may meditate on your word. Whether it's morning, whether it's evening, there's one thing I'm thinking about. It's the Word of God. And I have to wonder, how much do we needlessly panic, suffer, all because we forget God's Word? When I was little, I had a lot of nightmares. A lot of them, unfortunately. I I didn't watch junk. But for whatever reason, I can still to this day remember being like four years old and having this dream where this zombie was coming to chase me and we were in this bunk bed. It was like a retreat center or something and this zombie came out and wanted to eat me. It was a ter- terrifying dream. I never watched any zombie movies, but I remember this, this dream. And I'd have them so frequently that my mom would often tell me, just remind yourself that Jesus's blood is on your head. And so every time I had a nightmare, I would just recite that to me. i like, I am Jesus's. Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my savior. I would re- repeat that to myself. And later on in high school, when I started having panic attacks and anxiety and whatever, I started memorizing Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Not because I sat down and I said I should probably memorize a verse. It's because I wanted to remind myself that there is a peace of God that surpasses all understanding. That will guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. I needed that every single day. So I repeated that to myself so many times that I eventually just memorized it. Not because I like recited it and I was just being intentional about it. It's just because I needed to know that there was a peace that was available to me through prayer. And so how many times do we suffer, worry, we're anxious, all because we haven't reminded ourselves of who God is. And we're letting our minds not be pure, but be filled with junk. I'm not saying that being in the Word 24-7 means you're not going to worry. Of course, you're going to worry. I worry all the time. But what is the duration between worry and casting your burden upon the Lord and letting His peace sustain you? Here's another question What is the first thing you think about when you wake up? What's the first thing that enters your mind? Maybe you're like me, and the first thing you think about is, oh my gosh, I overslept. It's terrible. Like this morning, I'm supposed to wake up, at 7 o'clock, woke up at 8.10. I supposed to be here at 8.30. It's bad. First thing you think about is, oh, my day is shot, my day is ruined, now I have to rush to do everything. Can't eat breakfast, can't spend a good amount of time in the word. You know, you just, you're anxious. Or is the first thing that you do, you fill your mind with the word of God. And that for me is a personal challenge. That's a personal challenge. Because for me, it's, I've never been a morning reader, I've always been a nighttime reader. But what I've noticed is I can let two things dictate my thoughts in the morning, the word of God or everything else. And this, ladies and gentlemen, answering my text messages, seeing who texted me, see who commented on my photos or my statuses or Instagram, whatever, checking that versus checking the word of God can be dangerous for me. So I'm not making a rule for everybody to say, the first thing you gotta do is read your Bible. I'm just asking the question, What's the first thing you think about in the morning? Because perhaps the reason why we are so anxious, maybe the reason why we're so distracted is because we do not give place for the word of God in our hearts and minds. How much do we needlessly carry upon ourselves because we haven't let God's word enter our hearts? Go to verse seven, not seven, verse three. It says, knowing this first, That scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So if we are the people of God, we have to admit a couple things. There's a couple things that you and I have to admit as Christians. That there are certain things in the Bible that are ridiculous and will sound dumb to people that are not Christian. And we can try as best as possible to make it sound relevant, to make it sound appealing. But your friends eventually that don't believe in God, eventually they're gonna ask you questions and it's gonna be awkward. It just will be. Questions like, what does it mean? I got this question this last week. What does it mean to be born again? That sounds awkward. You don't hear that terminology anywhere else. Be born again. And that's what Nicodemus said to Jesus, right? Am I supposed to crawl back into my mother's womb? It's really strange imagery don't think about it resurrection that's a weird thought you know people make zombie movies all the time and we we talk about a resurrection there are certain things in the bible that will be difficult to defend the rapture i mean how ridiculous does that sound to people that don't believe in god and try to explain it so are you like i saw that left behind movie with Nicolas cage and so you're one of those people well no, not really. I, I mean, I, I am. I just not like that. How do you explain that to people? So explain to me in general words what the rapture is. Well, very simply and logically, what's going to happen is our God that we believe in, that we can't see right now, is going to appear out of the sky. And as he comes back, we will be floating in the air. And we'll be caught up together with him and be with him for eternity. And the rest of the earth is burned. And then we come back and then everything's good again. What do you think about that? It's going to sound hard to believe. And that's because the Bible says itself, verse, uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Listen, it is only as ridiculous It is only as ridiculous as the power you believe in. To us, it's power. Because we know the God we believe in. We know the God we believe in created everything we see. The world that we live in created our very lives. So does it sound ridiculous to us? Not really. If God could create everything in this universe and us, life, it's not so ridiculous that he would come back for us and rapture us. It's not so ridiculous that he could resurrect life because he gave life in the first place. It's not so ridiculous that sinners can be made well and made whole and be made perfect because Jesus is the one who gave us the spirit in the first place. So that being said, it will only be as foolish and nonsensical as the power you trust in. And so a person who's trusting in natural abilities thinks, how can it be that a person resurrects from the dead? I'm a doctor. I've never seen such a thing. And that's because you're not spending enough time with someone who's powerful enough. Yeah, you guys talk about healing from cancer. You guys talk about healing from sickness. I don't believe in it. I've never seen it. It's because you don't spend enough time with someone who's powerful enough to do it. And if you did, you'd be able to believe it. I'm sure, I'm sure that our science community, if we brought our doctors to some foreign land... And you saw some like, people that were into voodoo and, and some ancient tribe. Not an ancient tribe, but a, a tribe that was just closed off to anything in, in the Western world. And they saw the tools that we had. They saw the doctors and our expertise and they, like, saw brain surgery. They would think we're crazy. You're opening up someone's head to, to tinker with this and somehow the person's going to be okay afterwards. But that's because they haven't seen power like that. They haven't seen the advancement in that. And so for us, it's something we can hope in and trust in and actually be excited about because we've seen his power in our lives. But there will be scoffers that come in the last days. There will be people that mock you, that say, where where is this rapture? Where is this God that you're talking about? Maybe you won't have people mocking like this, word for word. You won't have people... Actually saying, where is the promise of his coming? They're not gonna quote it, like they're not gonna look at the Bible and quote it to you. But maybe the scoffer or the mocker is the one that's from within. Maybe you've been to New York City and you're kind of like waiting in the subway and you see all the trains there, and it always seems like there's construction somewhere, and there's always a train that's not coming because a train that's getting worked on. We're in there this past week. And you'll be sitting there, standing there, waiting for the train to come. And sometimes you're waiting two minutes, five minutes, but you can't really even tell, like, is this train canceled or is this train late? There's nothing worse than being in a subway car, by the way, and then having the subway car stop in between stops. That freaks me out. It does. And that's because I'm really anxious. So whenever that happens, I'm like, I'm fine. Everything's fine. I want to be stuck here for three days. Like you see in the news and seeing movies. It's a terrorist attack. I don't know. Just, I freak out. So i don't know like when i'm waiting in the subway stop i don't know what where that train is and there can be some of us that give up and say you know what i'm gonna find a different train because i've waited too long and i don't know if this train is coming in the same way it could be the case that we feel like we have waited quite a long time isn't it true that All Christians at some time thought Jesus was coming back in their lifetime? Did you know that Martin Luther, Martin Luther thought Jesus was coming back in his lifetime? Harold Camping, the guy that died like two years ago, he says, the end of the world, 2011, May 21st. He's like, it's definitely going to happen. And then what happened? He died. That was it. Even Chuck Smith thought that Jesus was coming back in the 80s. And he didn't. It's like everyone tries to figure out when Jesus is coming back and figures, well, it has to happen now. I mean, look at the state of the world. It has to be soon. The disciples themselves believed it. Where is the promise of his coming? You know, Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 24, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation, this generation will by no means pass away until all these things take place. He said in Mark chapter 9 verse 1, "Assuredly I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power." So when you say stuff like that, there's a part of you that feels like he's coming back soon. And not just soon like 2000 years soon, like soon like today. And so the disciples are probably thinking like, "Oh, so they're going they're so excited. They're living their lives radically for God because they believe that Jesus is going to be around the corner." and coming back in a a matter of hours, matter of days. 2,000 years later, here we are. Where is the promise of his coming? Imagine how the disciples felt when Peter wrote this epistle. By this time, five years, ten years, I don't know how long it was. But we know that some disciples have died. Some have passed away. And there was a temptation to feel like, oh, maybe the rapture already happened. In In fact, the book of Thessalonians was written to a church who thought that the rapture already happened, they were left behind. So where is the promise of his coming? Especially since, as it says in the verse, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, from the time that Jesus came till now, it seems like everything's pretty much the same. It's almost like he came in for a short time, he left, and, and whether he came, he didn't come, it's just like, every, you know, the sun still rises, sun still sets. People still have jobs. There's nothing new under the sun. So where is the promise of his coming? Maybe, in some sense, you felt that way about retreats. You've had the mountaintop experience. You went up the mountain and came down. Yes, I'm so close to God, and then you come, you like fall back into sin. I'm going to live my life the right way, and then it just kind of dips down, and it's just kind of like whether you went on the retreat, you didn't come on the retreat. It's just kind of like you faded. So what was the point of even going on their tree in the first place? This only happens when we forget two things. When we forget God's word and we forget his power. When we forget God's word and we forget his power. And this is what I mean by that. When you forget God's promises and you forget God's ability, you forget how God created the world. In other words, God created everything we see out of literally nothing. Talk about surprises. It's like nothing, nothing, nothing. Oh my gosh, everything. God created the universe literally out of nothing. The technical term is ex nihilo. Don't you think it's possible that God could kind of show up and surprise everybody? And not just in his return to the earth. Don't you think that he can do the same thing in your spiritual life? Maybe you've been seeking, you've been praying, you've been waiting You've been looking for God's comfort, God's peace. And you've been looking for God to do something radical in your life. And it doesn't seem like anything's happening. But don't you think that God can make something out of nothing. And God can appear in your life just as, as suddenly as he will when he returns to the earth. Like a thief in the night, the Bible says. Did you actually know that it's possible for lightning to strike when there's not a cloud in the sky? Lightning can literally strike, as they say, out of the blue. And it can actually travel up to 25 miles away. In the same way, Jesus can return as suddenly and unexpectedly as a lightning bolt does in the daytime. I heard, I I listen to a lot of pastors that I'm kind of like, I don't know about their theology. And so I just, I think it's fun. I don't know why I do it. I think it's, it's kind of like, you guys have soap operas. You like following celebrities. I follow celebrity pastors. It's just, I mean, I don't know. It's bad. It's probably bad. But there was one pastor who had like an Instagram crow. They all have like really terrible graphic abilities. And so they write things with like, you know, leaves around them. And you've seen the font. It's like everything's just like shining. Like it has to be shining in order, in order for it to be holy. And their websites are shining, sparkling, everything. And so this one quote says God only shows up where he is expected. And I like, was like amen there's like 2000 likes or something. God only shows up where he's expected. And so it says expectation determines experience. And everyone says amen. Amen, hallelujah. Can I get an amen with that? Your expectation must determine your experience. And I was like yeah. Is that true? Your expectation determines your experience. God only shows up where he's expected. Hey, how about when you had Jacob who's leaving after he has that fight with Esau and then he lays down, takes a nap, and says, wow, surely God was in this place and I didn't know it. Oh, wait, that was unexpected. How about when Jesus comes back like a thief in the night? That's a little unexpected too. You don't need to expect things for God to, to move powerfully in your life. How about Paul on the way to Damascus? And then Jesus appears to him, knocks him off his donkey. You think he expected it? He's like, at this in- In five minutes, I'm going to violently fire backwards off my donkey and see Jesus. I'm going to time it right so it looks like I'm expecting him because I'm not going to experience it unless I expect Jesus coming. It's not true. God can instantaneously perform the miraculous. He turned the water into wine. He didn't need five minutes to like, give me ten seconds to microwave the wine or the water and it's going to turn into wine. He didn't need days to heal the lepers. He didn't need minutes to feed the five thousand god can instantaneously perform the miraculous so this is what we need to know that time nor conditions are factors against god neither time nor conditions are a factor against god and so some of us look at prophecies in the bible like well this still has to be fulfilled and then this one has to be fulfilled otherwise jesus can't come back yet he can do whatever he wants he's god by the way He does not need you to tell him when he's supposed to come back. It's the same way in our lives. And maybe you've been to that church experience, you've you've showed up to church not expecting God to move in your life, and yet he does. I mean, that's how God spoke to me in the first place. It's like I, I was not even looking for God to convict me, and he does. With a lightning bolt straight to my heart. Like Peter on the day of Pentecost preaches all these jewish people and the bible says in acts chapter 4 that they were cut to the heart because they realized that peter was speaking as a mouthpiece of god directly to them and so this is what i would say to you too that if god is speaking to you today to start looking forward to his return and stop looking back towards this place of sin maybe you should start to listen look at verse 5 it says for this they willfully forget That by the word of god the heavens were old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished 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 isn't a word perished being flooded with water but the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men so here's what he's saying he's saying listen i just want to like remind you that god definitely is coming back this is not a maybe this is a promise just like God came back in the beginning to flood the entire earth in judgment he's going to punish sin he has punished sin in the past he will punish sin in the future he does not just sit back and say well evil is evil and I'm just going to let it be God came down and judged when Noah was around with a flood and he will judge by fire in the future and so some people willfully forget, the Bible says. In other words, some people want to drown away their worries and to live without accountability. They want to say, you know what, man, I just, I, the whole stuff about God, the Bible, I just it's too much. I don't want to think about it. I'm just going to live my life. And in time, I might pray the sinner's prayer again. I might say I'm sorry and whatever. I'll move on with my life. And we may have forgotten, but God has not forgotten our sins The Bible says that your sin will find you out. And if there's ever hidden sin that we have deep inside of us, we can't just forget it. We can't willfully forget. There'll be sometimes you're convicted in messages and you're like, I know I have to confess this. I know I have to talk about this. I just, I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to forget. If anything, if anything, when we forget those things, we're missing out on what the Holy Spirit is doing to us, which is drawing, him, drawing us back to himself. God convicts us because he loves us, not because he wants to judge us. And if you are found out, you need to know that that is God's mercy, not his judgment. God's judgment equals you burning. And he's not striking us with thunderbolts. I heard a great analogy this past weekend. I was at a different church, and they were talking about how Elijah was on the battle of Mount Carmel. And... Elijah was calling down fire from heaven. And he did and consumed the sacrifice. And later on in in the book of Luke, the disciples are walking with Jesus and they say, Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume these wicked people? And Jesus says, no, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what spirit you're from. Because God didn't come to condemn the world, he came to save it. And so back with Elijah, the picture was not that God is, is bringing down fire as a picture of judgment to consume evil people. Jesus was a sacrifice and God's judgment and his wrath was the fire and so his wrath was upon Jesus and now Jesus is the sacrifice it's not about God judging the world yet it's about all of us coming to the repentance coming to the end of ourselves and saying we can't do it on our own and recognizing that God has died for us that he has died for each and every one of our sins So if we do have deep and dark sin inside of us, we have to bring it to the light. We have to confess our sins and know that he is able and just to forgive us of all our sins. In the Bible, you see a common theme. Whenever there's wicked nations, even terribly wicked nations, even nations that killed their children, sacrificed their children in fire, God was merciful and did not judge them immediately. We've talked about this before, but Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrians, a wicked, wicked city, one of the most wicked civilizations that's ever lived on the planet. God had mercy on them by sending Jonah to preach to them, and they all repented, and they were not judged. The similar theme here is in verse 8. It says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering, long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is long-suffering toward us. There is one reason why the world is not judged, and that is because God wants every single person to repent. If you look at this time span, it says one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. What that's talking about is, think about God's viewing of time right now. You and I feel like time is longer or shorter depending on what's happening. If you're in a a car and you're going on a road trip, it can feel like forever because not much is happening. You're sitting in the car and it's just the same thing, same background, you're just traveling on and on and on and on for a couple hours, feels like eternity. But when so many things are happening, exciting things are happening, it feels like time's very short. And God's experience of the world. Think about this. God knows everything that happens in the world simultaneously. So every single thing, us meeting here, youth groups meeting around the world, around different churches on Friday nights, people waking up in the morning in different countries, God sees all of that at the same time. And so for God, time feels very differently and that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So he's been around for a really, really long time. So, what is a thousand years? It's like a day to him. But at the same time, one day is very long to him. I mean, think of all the stuff that happens in one day. But here's what you need to know your sin may find you out, but God's grace is seeking you out too. That your sin wants to convict, your sin wants to expose, but God, in His mercy, The only reason why God has not returned yet is because he wants you to repent. And he wants other people to come to know Jesus. This is so, so important for each and every one of us to know how long-suffering he is. I love that word long-suffering because that's exactly what it describes. It doesn't mean that God is not suffering during the waiting period as we all are. The Bible says that creation itself is groaning. The earthquakes, the hurricanes, the tornadoes, the misery. Creation itself is growing, crying out, waiting for that day when we'll all be renewed and made whole. People are stricken with cancer, disease, illness, all kinds of things in this world. We're all groaning, waiting for this return. What's the the delay? Why hasn't he come back yet? It's because he loves even wicked people. It doesn't matter what you've done, how evil you are, your sin may find you out, but God's grace is seeking you out too. Where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. And I appreciate that because I know my sin and I know how evil I am. I know that how many, no matter how many times I do an altar call and I pray to receive Jesus, no matter how many times I feel like I, I've messed up and I've disappointed God, I know that he's forgiven me and that he loves me and he extends the same grace Towards you. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will, burn with, uh, will melt with fervent heat, and both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. That's why it's so important that we, it says that Jesus comes back like a thief in the night. What does that mean? The metaphor is just basically saying like, Nobody plans for a thief to show up at their house. You're not sitting in your house and like, oh, well, seems like on my calendar, my Google calendar, I'm supposed to meet with thief number one at nine o'clock this evening. He's going to come in through the roof, and as he does, I'm supposed to welcome him with milk and cookies. Oh, wait, that's Santa Claus. No, no one expects a thief to come in um, expectedly. And so some of us will miss out on what God is doing with, our, with, with creation when God is returning to this earth because we're not aligned with God's tom- timetable. We're not aligning ourselves with his great plan. And so if God were to come back right now, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a little too soon. We're not ready. Here's a great question. You've heard this before. But it's a, it's a heart-searching question. Everyone look up here. If you knew God was coming back tomorrow, how would you live differently today? If you knew Jesus was coming back Sunday and you only had a couple days left on this earth, how would you live differently in the meantime? Oftentimes we compromise because we don't actually believe that Jesus could come back at any moment. But when he does, the earth, the works that are in it will be burnt up. And so we can't forget the reason why we are placed on this earth. We can't forget our mission. Our mission is to share this good news with other people around us. The people who have not yet received that forgiveness. Because this world is going to go through a refining fire. And the works that are in it and the earth that's here will be burnt up. And so you have to ask yourself... If the only things that last are God and souls, where are you storing up your treasure? treasure? And what is your treasure? Is your treasure the souls that are around you and you're investing in those eternal things? Or are you investing in things that are going to rot? A lot of people believe that this earth is going to last longer than they do. And so you build monuments, you know, you, you have a little plaque, you have a tombstone, Because you figure this earth is going to outlive you, but it's not true. Your soul will outlive the earth. And so what you do matters for eternity. Let's finish up in verse 11. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming day of, of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, look forward to these things. Be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. So he's, he's telling us right now, you know the day is coming soon. Look forward to it. He says, hasten that day. Like, Desire for that day to come soon. And that's a convicting question, isn't it? Do you actually look forward to the day that God comes back? Or are you thinking, well, you know, it'd be really nice. Like, Lord, if you want to wait till after I'm married, that would be great. Like I would not mind at all. If you took a couple more years so that I could grow, you know, start a family, maybe get a house, do a couple things like that, and then come back, that'd be perfect. Or are we going to... Are we earnestly desiring that Jesus comes back now? And if we're not, then we have things kind of backwards. It's because we don't actually have a right view of heaven. Maybe you just never thought about this. What What does heaven actually look like? And your image of heaven is like clouds, angel wings, we're all floating. When I was little, my sister told me that we'd all be bald and all look alike. Oh my gosh, I don't want to go there. I was like, what? I just couldn't get over the concept. I was like... Why does God want us to lose our hair? I don't understand. I like my hair. It's like, my sister's like, we must be purified. We're all going to be white, wear wings. We're going to be bald. It's going to be fun. Fun. <laughs> and, and then, like, as I grew up a little bit older, someone told me, all we do is sing worship songs for eternity. I said, well, that's not, that sounds fun. We're going to sing songs for literally eternity? That's all we're going to do. So our images of heaven often get distorted. It's like, no wonder we want to stay here. But then think about this. Did you know that heaven is actually going to take place here once God restores his kingdom on the earth? Once we're raptured into heaven and the earth is is cleansed and purged, we're coming back with Jesus and we're going to reign on the earth. And we're going to be part of the renewing process. And for a thousand years, you'll be able to do this. Think about this. For a thousand years, you can basically do whatever you want. If you're like, man, in my short 90 year life, I never got to go to Japan. You can spend 200 years in Japan if you want to. When she just comes back, you can like float over and like, I'm gonna go to Japan guys, float over and appear there. Like, so a lot of this is speculation, but we're gonna be back here on the search. Just imagine, imagine, speculate with me for a second. Imagine you're like, I'm gonna go spend some time in like the remote parts of Africa where I've never been for like 300 years. And I'm going to just have fun with my friends. You can do that. I can ima- just imagine what music sounds like for a person. We, we know, like, really talented people who have been playing all their lives. Imagine a person who's been playing guitar for 500 years. Imagine what that would sound like. The skill level of people that are able to paint for 600 years. Everything is going to be infinitely better than what we have now. That's going to be a lot of fun. And so if you think this life is fun and more fun than heaven, you're you are really mistaken and you don't know your God and you've forgotten that God created this world in the first place and that every good and perfect gift comes comes from above in the first place if that's true then heaven will be infinitely better than anything we could possibly imagine here so look forward to these things and that means you're living your life in holiness now you're making your mind pure. You're sanctifying yourself. You're setting yourself apart. You're drawing closer to Jesus. And that doesn't mean just stop doing bad things and start doing good things. That means look at your life and say, Lord, I want to be pleasing to you. I want to live my life in a way that makes you glad. I was talking to a, a guy that comes to the fellowship, and he's only been a Christian for three years. And he was lifelong friends with a guy, and they're friends for about 40 years, that regularly attends our church. And he was sharing with me his story of how he was just doing some construction in, in his friend's house and his friend just started sharing Jesus with him. And whatever he said, it just it struck him and in, in a unique way. It wasn't nothing like, you know, it wasn't nothing spectacular. It was nothing well-crafted. It was just what he needed to hear in that moment. And now he's re- regularly attends the church for the past three years and is involved serving in ministry. And he's saying this to me with tears in his eyes of how God transformed his life. That is the mark of a true believer, a true Christian, a person who is radically transformed, not because he's like, oh man, I have to stop doing, this. I have to stop smoking, I can't drink anymore, oh no, I, I, I just don't, I don't want to be a Christian because they, they're all bald eventually in heaven. But the Christian life can be exciting because you see lives transformed. You see your own life transformed because you're allowing yourself to be used of God. So here's what I'd say in conclusion. 1 Peter Chapter 4, verse 7, one verse. First Peter 4, 7 says this. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. That's something I've been thinking about and meditating on. Because honestly, guys, I feel like the Lord right now, I've shared this with a couple of you. But I feel like right now, I'm in the stage where in John chapter 15, Jesus says, Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. I'm the branch that started to bear fruit. Like, I can look back and be like, yeah, God transformed my life. I'm different. I read my Bible every day. I pray every day. I go to church almost every day because I work here. I evangelize. I do all these things. It's great. And then, like, the Lord just spoke to me. He's like, hey, remember Revelation chapter 2 where it says, I know your works, but you have left your first love? Like, good job with all the stuff you're doing. But, hey, what about, like, when when are we actually going to spend quality time with each other? And I was like, Ouch. It could be possible that I'm looking at my fruit and be like, I look great to the world, but I look dead to God. I don't want to be that person. And so God is pruning me, exposing those areas in my life that I have to change so that I can bear more fruit. And so this is what you need to know. If God is exposing things in your life that you need to change today, it is only so that you can bear more fruit it's not, that you can be sac- it's not so you can sacrifice things and be miserable. It's because God wants you to enter into abundant life today. Enter into his joy today. And to know what it's like to be used mightily of God. To know what it's like to be psyched at his coming. To look forward to the things that he has for us. To, to, to earnestly, earnestly desire his, his return. The reason why this entire series is here. The reason why the Lord I think believe I believe that He impressed this on my heart is because I believe that this is the one area that I talk about the least, because it's the least that I understand. The second return of Jesus. When's the last time you heard me talk about Revelation or teach a revelation passage? Hardly ever. It's because I have no idea what it says. I'm just being honest. Like you think I know about the Bible, it's only because I don't talk about the things I don't know about. But the danger of that is it'll often cause us to be deficient in certain areas. If we only eat meat and the best of foods, we'll miss out on our vegetables and we'll be in danger. And perhaps the part that we're missing as a church, as a youth group right now, is being excited about the Christian life. And to see the joy in it.